Welcome to episode 12 of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast. Today on how to visualize scientific data with a little and slight focus on numeric data together with Martin Stelmanis from ETH Emperor in Switzerland. Let's go. In this age of information abundance, when you have a constant flow of information uh, towards you, if you're able to, to kind of tell a story only using visual information, so charts, graphics, diagrams, and that can be a very powerful tool to grab the attention of the person uh, on the receiving end. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast. Today, it's about visualization. You know that there's four different formats of how you can actually make knowledge and make science available, and that is written, that's, so that's text, then there is video, then there's audio, and then the fourth one is graphics and pictures. And today, I want to talk to you and with our awesome guest about graphics and pictures. And the question is, how can we actually visualize science communication? What do you people, when you do, do that, should think about? So the structure of this uh, episode is now that we're going to talk about like what are graphics actually going to be used for. And then we're going to give you an eight-step manual of actually how you can um, create visualizations and how, it can, how you can make sure that they're actually um, readable and understandable by your community. But before we start off with that, I just want to introduce you to my awesome guest today, and that's Martins Saumanes. Hi, Martins. Thanks that you joined today. Hi, Julius. <laughs> Great having you on board. Would you mind giving the audience a little and short introduction, who you are, what you do, and what gets you up in the morning? All right. Thanks for inviting me to your podcast, first of all. Um, I am a researcher. I work at EMPA Research Institute in Switzerland. And um, I do research on roads. So the, the, the pavements that we use every day, uh, I try to figure out how to um, make them more sustainable and in particular, what to do with the material that is milled off the old roads that we don't need anymore, how to reuse it and, and, um, and apply it again to, to build the new roads. Great stuff. Cool. And next to your normal scientific research, you also have this other project ongoing, and that is writing a lot of books. Can you tell us a little bit what, what that's about? Yeah, that started about uh, three years ago. Um, I noticed that uh, people start inviting me you know, to conferences and uh, workshops, not to talk about asphalt or road, <laughs> but rather to, to talk about scientific communication. So about doing presentations, about uh, you know, engaging other people, making uh, them informed about what scientists do. And uh, at some point I realized, okay, maybe there is something I have to say uh, that others don't know. And, and uh, the, the forum that I decided is best uh, to, for this, uh, to, to, uh, um, to share my knowledge or experience is, is through books. Uh, so at first I uh, thought about uh, writing one book and I, I thought it will take about a year. And because obviously I thought I'm, I'm better than any other writer out there who says that this is difficult and takes multiple years. But uh, eventually, yes, now it's the third year. Uh, I'm, I'm done with the first two books and three more are planned. So obviously this uh, got out, out of uh, hands a little bit, but, uh, but I'm very happy that my, my second book now is, is published and, and the, the topic is uh, exactly what, what this podcast is about. It's about uh, scientific communication 
uh, with using graphics and uh, charts and and, and uh, data. Yeah, cool stuff. Because and because of that book, and actually because of a LinkedIn post that you have done, um, yeah, I found you or I was made available uh, aware of you, and then I asked you out to have this podcast. So this is just another kind of like uh, it's really another example uh, how being on social media actually gets you opportunities that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So I'm really happy to have you here today on the on the podcast, Martins. When we talk about uh, visualization of signs, um, your book is more about how you, can you visualize scientific content for other scientists. However, um, when I when I yeah checked out your work, I realized this is this might be quite universal to um, the, the tasks, um, what to do in order to really visualize work and make it make it appealing to your target group. And that is really a, a little bit independent if it's scientific target group or if it's, um, yeah, like public's uh, target group. So, but my, my first question is, um, how can graphics actually help to communicate science? And maybe you can actually, yeah, make a dif distinction between like scientific communities and non-scientific communities. Yeah, uh, so like you said, there are several forms of, of communicating uh, actually anything, not just science. Uh, but in this age of information abundance, you know, when you have a constant flow of information uh, towards you, whether it's, you know, on social media, one post or uh, after another, or in a conference when you have to listen to many presentations, or actually also in uh, research papers, you know, when... <laughs> Uh, when, when you have a lot of uh, papers coming out every year or even through um, emails, you know, uh, there's a lot of text uh, information coming out uh, our way. Uh, so if you're able to, to uh, kind of tell a story only using visual information, so charts, graphics, diagrams, and that can be a very powerful tool to grab the attention of the person uh, on the receiving end. So as an author or, or the person spreading the information, as a researcher who wants to communi communicate uh, your findings, uh, you have to find a way to, to get the attention of the readers. And, and graphics, charts, and visual information uh, is something that people perceive much quicker uh, than, uh, than written information. So that's a way to, to get uh, your stuff out there. Much quicker only if it's not super cluttered and if the information is clear, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Great stuff. In your book, you, you present different types of graphics and visualization opportunities. And one strong differentiation that you introduce is uh, the, the visualization of data and the visualization of like non-numerical data. Can you, can you elaborate a bit on this difference? And can you give us some suggestions and ideas how you can actually visualize non-data? Yeah, so uh, non-data is something, you know, that... Uh, you could use to communicate concepts or ideas. And um, for example, in, in diagrams, you can show flowchart uh, of your um, research uh, methodology. Uh, you can uh, use a diagram to illustrate how you did a certain process. And, and that can paint a mental picture for the, for the person on the receiving end. And, and it, often it's actually much quicker to, to understand uh, a certain process through visuals than it is through written text. If you can imagine uh, the, uh, the picture of uh, DNA, you know, it would be extremely difficult to explain this in words. You know, it's, mm. a, uh, it's a double-stranded molecule of some sort. And so, I mean, it's much easier to just show the picture. 
and and that's true for uh, for uh, for a lot of things so if you are um, presenting uh, uh, a presentation you know in a conference um, actually you could use a lot of uh, visual graphics uh, to supplement what you're saying or even if you're writing a research proposal you can add a, a summary of the research idea in the the first page and the reviewer gets a, um, uh, an immediate uh, feel of what the whole thing is about yeah no i like it and you also have like suggestion like that you can actually use maps and for instance these these kind of ones so people if you're interested in checking out what other opportunities of visualization there are you can also uh, check out uh, martin's book let's start with dropping some value bombs here and what we're going to do is that there that you suggest that there are eight steps to actually create uh charts what can you do with these eight steps uh, and what can you create martin that we're going to go through in a, in a second yeah so uh, i have a certain feeling that scientists don't pay too much attention to to the way that we create uh, data visualization so we just keep reusing whatever the predecessors have used in their publications, in their presentations. And, and sometimes that's fine. Uh, sometimes actually this is necessary because a certain data might need a certain way of visualizing it. And, and people are used to, uh, to certain types of data visualizations. But uh, more often than not, there might be a better way to, to visualize, visualize data, both in terms of selecting the right uh, chart uh, type but also in the way that we present the data. So adding annotations, uh, adding uh, certain highlights that uh, grab the attention and so on. And that's what I'm trying to do with these uh, eight uh, steps uh, to guide the, the scientists through um, the process of creating a data chart step by step, you know, one progression after another. And, and every time you create a graphic and just quickly grow, go through these eight steps and, and then um, hopefully at the end you get a product that, that um, speaks uh, visually and tells a story. Cool. That's, that's, yeah, that's really cool to, to, uh, to talk about. Actually, I was just thinking it doesn't really matter if, it's, uh, if a researcher or scientist actually uses these eight steps to create a, a visualization that he or she wants to uh, put then into a research paper or if it's a visualization that he or she actually does in order for have a, yeah, to have a report or have a, have a talks with, with, with the open public or whatever. So I think, yeah, as, as said in the beginning, that these eight steps, eight steps are rather, I feel that they're rather universal, which is really helpful um, and yeah, maybe maybe it's just time to go through them. Um, and what I suggest is I, I'll just yeah throw them to you because I have them in front of you, in front of me, and then you just elaborate on each of them for a minute. Does that sound all right? Sure. Okay, let's go. Cool, Martin. So the first step that you introduced to me that I'm going to introduce back to you now <laughs> for <laughs> chart creation uh, is the first one is select the chart type. Go for it. What does that mean? So I have to thank you. Uh, you already partially explain this step you know because the first thing of the first step is to see who is your target audience right so it could be a scientist it could be you know a journalist or it could be a stakeholder or an industry partner so you have to see who are you uh, delivering this information to and uh, then you have to decide what's the message that you want to tell with this chart you know what what is in there you don't want to just uh, show something you want to tell something with it uh, so this is a very important step, uh, and these two questions are, are critical. But at the same time, you know, even though 
you know these two questions when you open uh, whatever data visualization software you have you have maybe you know 30 options there of different chart types so okay what do you do now which one do you take so in the first step i, I show some um, scientific research about the way that uh, human perceive quantitative information visually so how do different shapes how does our mind translate different shapes into data you know into uh, quantitative data and and there's a hierarchy actually of of uh, which chart type uh, conveys information uh, better so you can go through this chart uh, see what fits for you of course it's not you know bulletproof uh, but mm, but it sure gives not. a very good yeah. uh, start uh, to to selecting the best uh, chart type yeah and once you have then found the right chart type then you go into the next step and the next step is demonstrate variability what does that mean yeah um you know, here I have a story to tell you. Uh, Melinda and, and Bill uh, Gates uh, Foundation, they uh, uh, once uh, had a, um, a funding campaign to, to sponsor uh, um, small schools, you know, development of, of small schools where, where the children would, go, would get uh, more, uh, uh, more time with more personal connection with the teachers. Um, mm. And that was based on some data that uh, in a smaller school, there's more um, interaction, you know, and, and more personal attention. So the, the quality of education is better. Uh, what turned out at the end was this was not at all true. This was uh, just, mm. uh, uh, you know, some statistical flukes that uh, made the small schools appear as they're uh, uh, doing better because simply there are fewer uh, students there. So if they would have considered, uh, you know, this uh, data variability, they would have plotted the the whiskers, you know, the, the error bars on the chart. Perhaps they would have avoided this mistake and uh, and and just uh, continued with the with the normal way the uh, schools are are made. Ah, okay. So so actually, it's about really about the whiskers chart to to yeah to to show um how much yeah validity this research really have at least from a from a statistical point of view is that how i understand it correctly exactly so statistics are very important in data visualization uh, you know one school might seem better than another one but if you take into account the the variability that might not even be true so it's very important that scientists also show this um, uh, variability or statistical significance in, in every chart that we produce yeah Nice one. Let's go to the third one. And that is, I like that one because it's really hands-on and it can be used by pretty much anything uh, what you produce, not just graphics and visualization, but also in, uh, in in writing papers or whatever it is, or reports. And that is remove the clutter. What does that mean? So basically when you open a, um, you know, any chart development software, and I mostly work with Excel, there's a lot of excess stuff that is unnecessary. So some... Um, black or gray grid marks and uh, and uh, chart uh, axis titles that maybe could be simplified and so on so it's it's very important to look at the chart and and see what can you remove so that later you have space and and the ability to add something that is more important maybe uh, some highlights or annotations or, or things like this yeah I guess is I guess it's always this ratio between uh, information on and what is this other part uh 
non-information. It's like the buzz and the, the information and the buzz. I've heard exactly. some, some people <laughs> quoting about it. Yeah. There's even a, um, a way to calculate this. It's an ink to information ratio. You know, how much ink have you used for every uh, piece of information that you give out? So, you know, a, a border for a chart, it doesn't add any information. So you might as well not use it. Yeah, yeah, and you should it decrease as possible uh, as much as possible the the amount of ink uh, that you use to to make the chart, isn't it? Exactly. That's part of what remove the clutter means. Okay, number four is highlight the message. So you know, again, there's so much information that, for example, when you do a presentation, you you would have one slide after another, and and you need a way to guide the attention of the viewer. Um, so there are some some ways that you can do it. For example, use color to highlight something that's uh, important, you know, a particular result that you want to share or, or highlight. Um, there are other ways, you know, you can add uh, different, uh, uh, you can introduce a hierarchy uh, of uh, line widths or, or for example, um, letter widths, uh, so, so the mm -hmm. size of the, the letters. Uh, to, to show the, the person uh, looking at the chart uh, what is more important, what they have to pay attention to at first. And, and, and that way, it, it's easier to explain uh, whatever you're uh, trying to show. Yeah, I think it's very straightforward, isn't it? It's like, okay, highlight what is the message what the people should take out of this. Yeah, And then, yeah. here it helps that you have removed the clutter before. So, for example, if you created the chart uh, where there are you know, five bars, and each of them is in a different color, it's very difficult to use color to highlight something, you know, because it looks like a rainbow already. <laughs> uh, so it's important yeah. that you, before that, you, you made everything gray. And now you can add, you know, red or green color so that you highlight whatever is the most important. Uh -huh, that's interesting because I understood clutter more like, uh, like just, yeah, I didn't understand clutter in terms of color. I understood clutter in terms of like just information points, like, or, to do whatever it's you know both. Like, it's both. And, but yeah I, I like that you also have that you also introduce uh, rainbow colors already as uh, as clutter um yeah that because it yeah it helps to to have it gray and then to make specific remarks about what you really want to tell that's cool number five is label the data if you haven't done it so far i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so this is quite straightforward i mean there is a the data software often um, adds the labels you know somewhere in the corner uh, but for example if it if the labels are very important you want this to be the first thing that the person uh, looking at the chart um, sees so uh, there has been research that shows that we look at uh, actually any screen uh, including uh, charts uh, in a z shape so in starting z shape. Okay. z shape so start at the top left corner then go to the right and then go down um, so if, right if the labels mm -hmm. are uh, important, and uh, then you put them in the top left corner, ah, um, mm -hmm. even a better way uh, might be if it's possible to add the labels directly to the um, to the data points or, or to the curves, you know, to the lines that you have there, because it all helps the viewer to uh, to perceive the information as quickly as possible, as simply as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. It's like when you have too many data points and you can maybe not put it right there where the data points is, but if, if it's not that much, then you can actually put it in, yeah. uh, right there where the data points are. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, cool. And yeah, for sure, uh, in the future, I'm going to uh, 
label the data in ways to, so that it uh, reflects the Z shape. Okay. <laughs> Next point, number six is add annotations. And now you can actually tell me what annotations means because I've heard that word, but I'm not sure what it actually means. So in a chart, you know, the, the scientists, when we write papers, we have the luxury of having, you know, a paragraph which just explains the chart. You have then the reference to the to the figure, then maybe in the caption you you write a little bit more even, and you have only the the data itself in the chart. Mm. Uh, but uh, you know to to enable the chart the chart to speak for itself, uh, you might add some information on the chart. So you can explain, okay, here are these two lines, and the difference between them is let's say I don't know seventy percent, and these seventy percent are important because this and this and that. So you ah, add so you... some information on the chart, which enables the, the viewer to uh, perceive it without any other additional information. Uh -huh. so, so to make it more self-explaining. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And that's what uh, uh, scientific journalists and, and civil journalists uh, do all the time. If you look at the charts in The Economist, for example, mm -hmm. they're amazingly good. And, and they all of them have uh, some sort of explanation on the chart uh, which you can understand right away without reading the entire article. Uh, so you, even when you are skimming through through the articles, you're and you just yeah you just spend three four seconds on one chart, you actually already have an idea what the article exactly. is about and what the key message of the chart is. Yeah, interesting. Never thought about that. I'm learning stuff here, Martin. That's cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the step number seven, and that's almost we are getting to the end already. So number seven is make visual order. What does that mean? So it helps to uh, turn on grid lines when you're uh, making a uh, graphic. Grid uh, what? Grid lines, you know. Uh, there's a button in Excel uh, where you click it and, and it shows, you know, some lines which will not appear later in the in the chart itself. So it helps to arrange everything. And uh. also it looks a little bit visually pleasing, you know. You have the, the text uh, aligned. Like tidy. Uh, it, it, yeah. Tidier, yes, you could mm. say. It's not, uh, you know, you try not to rotate text in certain angles because that is uh, takes more time to read. Um, you try to arrange the data points that some, so that somehow they, they can tell a story by themselves. Maybe if, if one data mm. point is, um, you know, smaller and the next one is larger, you could try to uh, make a hierarchy, these kind of things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, makes sense, yeah. And then the last step, and I like that step very much, is... Test if it tells a story. What do you do when you want to test if your visualization tells a story? Yeah, so this is bringing it all together, you know, all your attempts of selecting the right chart to, to uh, highlighting the message, to adding the annotations. Um, so you need to, to figure out whether this worked. So one way to do it is, is just to leave the chart uh, aside. I don't know, how, depending how much time you have. Uh, ideally, I do it for a week. I, I, I leave <laughs> but we everything. all know we're always high, high, <laughs> yes. hot on the deadline. <laughs> so at least uh, sleep on it, right? Yeah. And look at it the next day and, okay, try to see where your eyes are drawn first. So watch what information you pick up first. And look at the you know the helicopter view and then zoom in in the details see whether yeah. really the the data labels and so on they're they're uh, uh, correct and and um, uh, giving the information that you intended or of course you could give it to a friend 
right? We all have colleagues, and now at the Corona times, it's a bit more difficult. But uh, but uh, but try to find a, a friend who would look at it. Don't uh, tell them anything about the chart. Don't give any addi- additional information. Just ask to tell them what do they see and what do they understand from from the chart. Sometimes it might be a group of charts that you hand out. You know, if you have a presentation or a paper that you've written. Uh, there might be a sequence of the charts, you know, um, including also the non-data visualizations, like a methodology. So, for example, if you're writing a paper, you could give out all the figures to your uh, friend and ask to tell you a little bit about the paper uh, from what they see. And then you see, okay, if this what they uh, got, is what they reasonably <laughs> close to what you're trying to say, you did a great job. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we should actually, yeah, make more use of this such peer peer, uh, peer support. I like that, and like that, you already do some uh, spreading of scientific knowledge as well, isn't it? At least amongst your colleagues, and then they uh, then they know what you're up to, and they can actually refer you if anyone ever comes across a person who actually requires this knowledge that you are producing. So that's another. That's already another way of spreading your science. That's cool. Exactly. All right, Martins, we actually covered all eight steps. Um, so, and that cool. also already brings us. A bit to the end of this of this uh, epi- very compact episode. Um, is there anything else that you want to say? And what are the next steps for your five books? The rest, the the, the last uh, other three books. <laughs> so the first book was on uh, writing uh, research papers, and the second book is is the one that we're talking about now. Uh, it's about uh, data visualization and uh, and um, creating graphics. And that uh, actually can be applied also for uh, for uh, writing papers. But um, like we said, uh, it can be used in uh, scientific presentations or writing research proposals and, and uh, or um, posting online and so on. And the third book, it will be on uh, doing scientific presentations um, to different audiences, including, you know, uh, science conferences, but, uh, but also um, to spread the information outside of the scientific bubble. Um, and it will include also um, some tips for uh, scientists to communicate uh, online. Oh, cool. and, and this book uh, is going to be out very soon. Uh, the fourth book is on uh, writing research proposals. And, and there uh, I have a little bit of uh, business background. So I somehow borrowed uh, an approach from uh, a business world uh, to, to help scientists, you know, to uh, make uh, the connections in their head, the connections with their peers to write uh, good research proposals and try to get them funded. And the final book will be on um, on actually um, building a scientific career. Um, there I've, I've talked to a lot of um, established scientists because, uh, uh, you know, my experience is probably not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I've talked to people, you know, who have tenure tracks uh, both in Europe and in the States. Um, so I hope to give some tips about the ways that young scientists can uh, make their uh, CV look uh, good and, and find uh, ways to, to stay in science and do good things with the research. It's all about the CV, my man. I know it is. <laughs> cool, Martins. If people want to reach out to you, I saw that your books are on Amazon and that you're on LinkedIn. Um, is that your preferred way how, how people could reach out to you if they, I don't know, want to book you for a talk or for a similar um yeah, project. Yeah, I have a website actually for the five books. Ah. It's called uh, peerrecognized.com. Yeah. So the, the book series is called Peer Recognized. And if you go to this website, you'll find information about the books and, and uh, myself. And there's an email. 
uh, you can write me. And of course, uh, I'm on LinkedIn and other social media sites. So um, it's very easy to find me, actually. Sounds good. Cool. Martins, thanks a lot for joining me today for this podcast episode and to talk about visualization of scientific content. And uh, yeah, maybe eventually talk to you soon again. Take care. Ciao. Thanks, Julius. That's it for this episode of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast. Thanks a lot for listening up until here. It, it's just really a flattering feeling to know that you actually spend time with this and that you want to get better at your science communication game. If you like this podcast and if you want to support this project, I would be highly appreciating if you would give this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and if you would send me a message on other topics that you would like to have content about. So what are you struggling with? What do you want to learn about? And I would be super happy to just provide you with that content because it's really about the long game and it's about empowering you people to do better science communication. Yeah, that's the mission of this podcast. That's it for today. Talk to you soon. Hope to have you back on this podcast next week. Take care. Have a good week. Bye-bye. And on another note, I just wanted to share something personal. I was awarded a PhD last week on Friday at Utrecht University. So I defended my PhD last week. So now you can even call me Dr. Julius if you like to. <laughs> That's about it. Take care. Bye-bye.